Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Hey, Dad, do me a favor and just log off. Just log off. That was me giving my father time to leave the podcast. We will talk about dick today. There is dick all over the internet. We're not going to talk about that first, though. I am so mad that I use Big Diction Energy for Tuesday's podcast episode. It's such a great title. And I was talking about the bearded black men that read on Clubhouse, and they use the term Big Diction Energy, so I thought it was perfect. But this week, it would be more apropos. Damn it. I think really hard about the titles that I use for the episodes. People judge podcast titles the way that they judge book covers. So I put a lot of thought into it. I'm so mad. Speaking of bearded black men who read, y'all must have gone and flooded them people's page. They sent me so many thank yous and so many shout outs. And I was like, you are worthy. I think they might have been overwhelmed by the attention, but... They did agree to come on the show, and I say they because I thought maybe I could do an interview with one of them, or I could speak to their producer, who was a woman who goes by the name of Pastor Bay. But Pastor Bay responded, and she was like, actually, all the guys would like to come on the show. I just wanted one reading, but five will do. I'll take that. Last week, I asked you all to send me requests for what you would like the black bearded men to read. Y'all, I'm very serious. I want requests. DM me on any of my social media platforms at Demetria Lucas, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm trying to put together this Valentine's Day episode and I'm like reaching for the stars now. Literally, literally. I reached out to the publicist of this singer I'm obsessed with and I was like, do you think he'll come on the show and sing to us? It's a radical request, but I want him to sing to me. Like, I love his voice, and he has a verse on one of my favorite songs. So hopefully he says yes. Mm. Shout out to Tamron Hall. Earlier this week, she mentioned Ratchet and Respectable as one of America's favorite podcasts. I'm very thankful to be included on the list. The podcast has been sitting in the top 200 of Apple's society and culture list, which very thankful for. I can't remember what I said on Tuesday's episode, but y'all have just been listening away because we popped up right between two Oprah podcasts this week. I was like, oh, y'all been streaming. Y'all been streaming. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I do appreciate it. I also appreciate there's so much good news this week, which I'm very, very grateful for. The merch drop for Don't Waste Your Pretty happened this week, as promised. It went well, depending on how you look at it. It sold out in four hours. All the hoodies that I thought were going to last for a month. All the hoodies that I thought were going to last for like a month sold out in four hours. All gone. I am shipping out your merch as fast as I can. Some people already received their stuff. And I was like, wait, because I shipped to USPS, which is what I always use. They took forever for the holidays, but I guess they back to normal now because two people posted their stuff today and they didn't live in California. And I was like, wait, y'all got it already? I did do a post office drop last night. I didn't do today's drop yet. I'll do it. Um... I'll do it when I finish recording this podcast and come back and edit later tonight. But thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, The hoodies are gone. People keep asking me about a re-up. I have not given it any thought whatsoever. I have all these sweatshirts that I have to get out. And so when I get these shipped, then I'll think about another round. I would just like folks to keep in mind, I have a film dropping at the end of the month and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. I'm, I'm prepping for that and I'm recording a podcast twice a week and then I'm shipping 
out all of this merch along with books. There's a second edition of Don't Waste Your Pretty, which is still available on the website. And there's also the mugs that have to go out as well. The mugs are still available on the website too. So I would really like to do a re-up. I don't know how possible that is at the moment. So I'm very, very sorry for those of you that were unable to purchase a hoodie. So we'll see. But there are mugs on the site and there are also books. If you haven't read the book and you do want to read it before the film comes out, it is available. Signed copies are available on my website. Before we talk about Dick, let's talk about Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan is in the new Alexa Super Bowl commercial, which is a bag for him, so good for him, but also is a gift for us because he looks like a god among mere mortals. If you listen to this podcast often, then you know I'm kind of obsessed with Michael B. Jordan. I picked up this thing for him when he was in Creed. Remember I told you I used to watch Creed like every night before bed? And then when Creed 2 came out, I started watching that one. And not even for like what he looks like. I mean, I think he's gorgeous. He's just like the best boyfriend in Creed. Not so much Creed 2. He like goes through something and it's like annoying half the movie. But he's like this really good boyfriend in Creed. The first time he goes on a date with his girlfriend, who later becomes his wife. But they go on this little date and they're in Philly. And everyone keeps using the word John. So he's like, what's a John? And so she was like, you know, a John can basically is a noun, a person, place, and thing. He's like, huh? And he was like, you got a John? (laughs) There's this other scene where they're laying on the floor together. I guess they're listening to music or talking or whatever. But he leans over and he steals a kiss from her. And it's just the cutest thing. I got very smitten about him watching Creed. That's when I really started paying attention to him. But he popped up in this Alexa commercial. Just looking fine as fuck. He's just built right. Just everything about him I like. And he's not even typically my type. But he looked good as fuck in that commercial. Jesus. Part of the appeal is that he's the body of the new Alexa. And he takes commands. Like he's so submissive and compliant. And whatever you tell him to do, he does it so willingly giving you his full attention it's very sexy it's a very sexy commercial a part of the commercial he's sitting in the bathtub reading and i was like oh oh oh, oh this is what it sounds like when those bearded black men be reading he was sitting in the tub with the lady talking about like he held her in his hands and she was changed something like that and i was like what kind of filth is this woman reading probably one of them harlequin romances i used to edit Those books always used to be number one with good reason. With good reason. People like filth. People like filth. But congratulations to Michael B. Jordan and Amazon because like that was a genius level commercial. It was so good. The husband in that commercial is such a hater. His wife is just trying to like learn French and get help with her measurements while she cooks. It's a hater. She wanted to dim the lights and Michael B. Jordan took his shirt off and the husband was like, no, no, no. Lights on, Alexa. Lights on. He's funny. He's a good actor. It's a really good commercial. I like smart commercials. It's not just sexy. It's also very smart. I liked it lots. Okay, now it's dick time. So, Trey Songs, apparently his dick is on the internet. A video was circulating. It was only about 10 seconds long. It was a woman performing oral sex on a very well-endowed man. I mean, very well-endowed. I mean, like, Wow. And the internet sleuth, being who they are, they said that those were Trey Song's tattoos. And thusly, that gigantic penis belonged to Trey Song's. And I was like, well, sir, it's not just the neighbors that know your name. It's the whole goddamn gated community. That was a lot of dick. 
a lot. That's too much for me. I couldn't do nothing but look at that. Just like, I'm good. I like my uterus exactly how God intended. I don't need it rearranged. I don't need it reconfigured. I don't need it battered. I like it to sit exactly how it is. It's not giving me any problems. And I feel like if I was trying to, you know, conquer that ride, I would have problems. And I don't want those kind of problems. Sis in the video, who I hope she released the video. She doesn't look up, so you can't really tell who she is. I wouldn't be able to spot her walking down the street. But I'm sure people who know her are like, oh, that's Keisha, second Trey Song's dick on the internet. But I hope that video was released with her consent. Otherwise, that's revenge porn and that's gross. Trey Song's reveled in the attention. He posted several Instagram videos acknowledging that he knew that we were all looking at a video of what we think is his penis. He posted one video where he was walking sideways and he was like, you wonder why I walk with a limp. And I was like, sir. He also said he had an OnlyFans, which I was like, really? I know I didn't subscribe, but I did look it up to see if it was true. Trey Songz does indeed have an OnlyFans. He launched it in December. It's $20 a month for some behind the scenes with Tremaine. Now I'm not going to subscribe. But if you subscribe, let me know what kind of content is on there. I'd like to hear about what's happening on Trey Song's OnlyFans page. Some people criticize the woman's performance. I thought she did fine, you know, given the circumstance. They're like, you know, she's using a lot of hand and not enough mouth. I was like, how much mouth do you want her to use? Because she used any more, she's going to choke. Some folks like to gag. Mm. I mean, man was using hands, but hands, plural. Because sometimes you don't even need one hand. She was using two and there was room to spare. And I was like, ma'am is doing the best that she can with the tool that she has to work with. I saw some other commentary. They noted that Trey Songz had not shaved. And I said, well, I didn't notice that. So I went back to watch the video again for observation purposes because I didn't get down to that portion. There was a lot to take in. Literally. But he had not shaved. And I was like, oh, that's not classy. When you invite people... To come to your home, you're supposed to make sure that your lawn is well-maintained. But as a man especially, a couple things on the outside, you're supposed to make sure. You make sure the car is washed. You can't invite folks to your home and have a dirty-ass car sitting outside. That's not right. But you also make sure that your yard is maintained. Make sure the grass is cut. Make sure the hedges are well-trimmed. It shows you're a good host. It shows that you care about your guests. There's more dick on the internet. Like literally, there was a lot of dick on the internet yesterday. I mean, and really, it was only two dicks. But it felt more like four because of the size, you know? You know, Marshall Price. I posted him on my page a couple times. That man lives in some gray sweatpants. Like every day is Eggplant Friday for him. Every day. It's been this way for months. If you'd like to observe what I was speaking of, his page is at official underscore Marshall Price. P-R-I-C as in cat E. He decided to partake in the silhouette challenge. It's a very nice looking man with his clothes on. And without the silhouette challenge, you couldn't see much because he was, you know, in the red light. But you could see his silhouette of everything, all of it. And apparently he was very uh, joyful when he was recording the video because you could see all of that too. That thing looked like my arm. And I don't mean my forearm. I mean my whole ass adult arm. Like, I couldn't do nothing but look at that either. I'm not even trying to get close to that. Now, Trey Songz, like, I may be like, oh, okay, on GP, I give you a handy. Marshall Price? Mm-mm. I'd have muscles like a big-ass man trying to stroke that thing. Get out of here with that shit. 
I'd be like, sir, please put your pants back on because I can't do nothing with that. I can't do nothing for you. If you just want to show it off, like, all right. It's kind of like a circus act or some shit. Look at the flying elephant. Look at the man with the giant penis. It's huge. It's like, was that a prosthetic? And then had the nerve to sit there and make the thing jump. And I was like, sir, if you don't get out of here with this pornographic material. I watched it five times, though. You won't find it on his Instagram page. Instagram is a little more conservative. Twitter's not very conservative because that's where everybody was watching that Trey Songs video. If you search on Twitter, Trey Songs, you'll find a video. Marshall Price did post the video on his Twitter page. His Twitter handle, <laughs> his Twitter handle is Grace Sweats King. He also has an OnlyFans page. His OnlyFans is cheap though. It's $7.80 a month. He has 560 posts though. I feel like after the silhouette, I've seen everything I need to see. I don't need to see that up front. I'm like, that's like a freak show dick. That's too much dick. I think it was like down to his knees. I was like, girl, maybe you could do something with that. I can't do nothing with that. I know my limitations in life. You know what I did find interesting is there's been much praise, much praise from Marshall Price and Trey Songs and their dicks all over the internet. Women have women and men and some men. I want to leave the men who like dick out too. But they've been clamoring to see these images, these videos. And overall, the response has been very positive. But I think about what we talked about from last week. Poor Chloe Bailey, who did a silhouette video and you really couldn't see anything. It was very sexy, but you couldn't see a damn thing. But Chloe Bailey caught hell. People had nothing but negative things to say about that. Marshall Price be in gray sweatpants with a hard dick every day. No one calls that man a hoe. We've created this weird culture where we accept men expressing their sexuality, but we don't want women to do the same. If we recognize that men like to fuck and it's okay for them to fuck, who exactly is it that we want them to fuck? Other men? If men want to fuck other men, y'all grown and consenting? That's your business. It's so weird how a society has issues with gay men, but you promote men's sexuality and you want men to fuck. It's okay for them to fuck, but you don't want women to do it. You don't want women to like it. You don't want women to embrace their sexuality. You don't want them to talk about their sexuality. It's just like, well, who are these men supposed to be fucking then? It's never made any sense to me. I guess each other. It would explain a lot. I have the best segue into the next topic that I cannot use because I don't want to sound like an asshole. I made all these resolutions at the beginning of the new year trying to be a better person in 2021. I thought it would wear off by now, but apparently I'm still going. GQ released the article this morning about Andrew Gillum and his wife. The article was written by a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Wesley Lowery. The GQ article is many things, many things. I don't really feel like I need to give you a full refresher about who Andrew Gillum is. Political superstar, mayor of Tallahassee, ran for governor in Florida, lost by 30,000 votes to a goddamn idiot. His version of the story. Afterward, he spirals from the loss. He is caught one evening in a hotel room in Miami with a gay male escort. The police are called. Photos from the hotel room are released. They show drugs and alcohol strewn around the room. And damningly, they show a naked Andrew Gillum on the floor of the bathroom laying in his own vomit. It's a very dehumanizing photo. So these photos come out 
right when the NBA is calling off its season, Broadway is closing, LA announces a lockdown. There's pure chaos going on in the world. So this story happens and usually it would be a gigantic political scandal. It takes a day, if that, in the news and then fades away because everyone is like, wait, breathing outside will kill us? So he kind of, in a sense, publicly at least, gets away with it. He reemerges about six months later, which I was like, bruh, already? He does Tamron Hall with his wife. You can go back and listen to the episode where I talked about that. Him and his wife doing Tamron ain't made no damn sense, but they did it. Afterward, he launched a podcast and then he ended up doing election night coverage for BET, he and Angela Rye. I didn't watch the whole thing, but the parts that I did see, like the clips that were circulating online, he was funny. He was good. He was astute. So I was like, well, you know, maybe his career as a politician is not over. And I said that at the time. And I was like, look, the man had a messy incident when he was not publicly out as bisexual, living in shame, living in fear, having secrets that they're afraid will be told. Makes people do stupid shit. Self-included. And I said at the time when he was doing that political coverage, I was like, look, the man had a sloppy personal life while he was trying to hide who he was. But now that he's out in the open with who he is, maybe he'll drink less, convert less, be his authentic self. And maybe he won't make stupid decisions like the one that he did that night in a Miami hotel room. Not just at the hotel, but the choice to go meet up with the man, go to the hotel, drink with the man, all that stuff. Maybe he won't do no dumb shit like that no more. And I was like, look, the current leader of Florida is trying to kill its citizens. If Andrew got solutions to get folks out of COVID and save lives, I'm willing to hear him out. You know, you know, my favorite line is there is grace for those that seek it. I apply it to Andrew Gillum as well. But Andrew Gillum and his wife, RJ, earlier today appeared in a GQ article, a feature story. And it is fucking awful. For whatever reason, they keep trying to talk about this one night in Miami. And I do not understand why. COVID was such a shit show that it overpowered one of the biggest political scandals of the decade. He practically got a free pass to just move on with his life. Sir just refuses. He does this Tamron interview. And now he does this GQ interview literally a year after the incident when one nobody thinking about you, your wife, or your scandal. There's tons of stuff that come up in the group chat. Yesterday was all about Trey Song's dick. Wasn't nobody thinking about Andrew Gillum. Wasn't nobody thinking about his scandal. But here you go, drumming it back up once again. And the details that came out this time, girl. Boys, I don't want to eliminate nobody. They, I don't know the other terms, but y'all are included too if you're here. I welcome everyone. But yo, let's read some of this GQ article. There's a note that says, this story is part of GQ's upcoming Modern Lovers issue. Modern Lovers. The title of the article is How Andrew Gillum's Marriage Survived a Night of Scandal. The subtitle, the rising Democratic star was found in a Miami Beach hotel with a male sex worker and suspected drugs. To keep their marriage together, he and his wife, RJ, had to embrace a new dynamic of radical honesty 
quote and unquote, in their relationship. Now the writer goes to the home to talk to the couple. He remembers that Gillum's name had once been floated as a potential vice presidential candidate on the Democratic ticket. And then the writer gets into what he calls the familial fallout of that incident. I remember, I remember when the couple did the Tamron show, they said, you know, everything was fine. Nothing like this had ever happened before. And, you know, I was worried when he didn't come home that night. But I went upstairs and then I went to sleep. I called bullshit on that. The first time your spouse is supposed to be at home and they haven't arrived yet, you freak the fuck out. You start calling all the friends. You start calling all the family. Have you heard from so-and-so? You blow up the phone. You don't go upstairs and go to bed. Some people were mad I said that. And I was like, look, I'm not judging her. I'm telling you what I know. I'm telling you what I lived. The first time, you'd be like, oh my God. The sixth time, you'd be like, this nigga here. So in this article, they admit that they were having issues in their marriage. With the stresses of home, and then after he lost the election, and then his father dies. He said, I just wanted every opportunity I could to escape. And his drinking became more intense. Gillum says that he started drinking whiskey in his morning coffee. And then he switched to a clear liquor whose smell was easier to conceal from his wife. She talks about an incident where the couple went to Atlanta for the launch of Tyler Perry Studios, which the author describes as the most black and bougie event this side of the Obama years. Andrew drank so much at the hotel bar beforehand that he began to fall asleep at the table as dinner gave way to a Mary J. Blige concert. RJ said, I'm literally standing in front of him trying to make sure no one can see him. At one point, the Gillum said, Keisha Knight Pulliam, i.e. Rudy from the Cosby Show, tapped Andrew on the face and urged him to get some coffee. RJ dragged him home early prompting a flurry of texts from friends about everything they were missing at the party. She was furious. Andrew says, all I know was I woke up the next morning in my tuxedo, but I had a 6 a.m. hit for CNN. On the day of the, the incident, as we shall refer to it, Andrew and his wife had traveled to Miami Beach for a wedding. Remember at one point I questioned, I was like, was there a wedding? Whose wedding was it? Because Andrew was talking about there was a wedding. And then the guy he was with was like, he never said anything about a wedding to me. Andrew was supposed to officiate said wedding. At some point in the early evening, he decided to meet up with Travis Dyson, the sex worker, also a nurse, who he said he had met a couple months prior. Now, Andrew maintains that he has no recollection of what happened inside the hotel room. He says all he remembers is he went upstairs and the guy offered him a drink. He says he was knocked out until 11 o'clock or so and he woke up in the bathroom. He didn't have any clothes on. He didn't know why. And there were five or six police officers there. As he did on the Tamron show, he insists that he did not Well, before he said he didn't do drugs. This time he says he did not knowingly consume drugs. Andrew says he never should have been in the hotel room. Me being and putting myself in this situation to even communicate with another adult at that level. Communicate with another adult at that level. Is that what we're calling fucking now? We're not calling it the sex. We're calling it communicating with an adult at that level. Okay. But he says communicating with another adult at that level was a mistake on my part. 
He elaborates with his wife looking on the non-fidelis. Is this man using Latin instead of just saying he cheated? He says the non-fidelis, which means unfaithful. The non-fidelis part was I put myself in a situation where anything could have happened, including something that could have betrayed or would have betrayed my vows. And that's the part that I wanted to own outright because I knew that much. Given the state that I was in, I knew that much was possible. The non-fidelis part. Yo, niggas will like use a euphemism for anything. That man is really using Latin to avoid saying he was unfaithful. That's a lot of audacity. That's a lot of audacity. The writer points out to say that this is the version that the Gillums have shared publicly. They insist that no one is owed further explanation, which is true, which is true. I wish I would stop goddamn talking to us and telling us this business and bringing it back up. Because again, we wasn't thinking about it. Now you done put a whole story in GQ. And the writer says, until now, Dyson, the other man in the room, has declined to provide any confirmation or denial. Did you catch that until now part? Here we go. The writer says, when I later reached Dyson by phone, he told me a very different story. Although the Miami New Times reported that Dyson and Gillum had met the previous spring, Dyson told me the reporter had misunderstood him. Dyson said the two first connected a week or two prior on the gay dating app Grinder, and in the day since had met up multiple times for paid sexual encounters. He said Andrew passed out after taking G, an ecstasy type drug often used by gay men to enhance their sex drives, which when combined with alcohol can knock people out. He said that on that night and others, both he and Andrew used G and other drugs. Dyson acknowledged taking photos and videos and sending some of them to friends, but he says he took them in order to be able to later show Andrew what had happened. He said he then took care of Andrew for several hours before accidentally overdosing himself. He said the third man in the police report, who the author did try to reach, but the man did not respond, Dyson, the sex worker, said that man was another client who had never met Andrew. He said that man, the man who called 911, He said that man has showed up for a separate appointment. Andrew was his early appointment. This man was the next appointment. That would explain all the drugs. Because it was a lot of drugs. I was like, that's a lot of drugs for two people. Sir was in that hotel room trying to do some back-to-back work. I was like, was he getting paid by the hour? Or did he have a two-hour time block, a three-hour time block? I want to know how much he was charging, too. I also want to know why Andrew just won't pay this man. Because some good money should have made sure this man never talked again. Like Andrew got friends in high places. Nobody could have wrote a check. Get him a good NDA and $100,000 in cash. Dyson goes on. He says everything I did that night was trying to help Andrew. He says the incident has also scrambled his life. He and his fiance separated. He was forced to leave his graduate nursing program. And now he pays his bills by selling nudes and porn on OnlyFans. Everyone has an OnlyFans page this week. Damn. Dyson says he doesn't know how the photos got out. So after speaking to the Gillums about that night and then also speaking to Dyson about that night, the reporter then goes back to the Gillums and he says that after learning that I had contacted Dyson for comment, 
the Gillums canceled our scheduled follow-up interviews and declined to respond on the record to Dyson's versions of events. So I guess radical honesty was just for them as a couple, not them with the reporter. Okay. Which they don't owe the reporter. But again, stop doing goddamn press about this shit. Sir, just go talk about politics. You're really, really good at that. All this other shit, these details never would have came out if y'all hadn't decided to go do a GQ interview with a Pulitzer winning journalist. You know the man got a Pulitzer because he writes and reports his ass off, right? Couldn't nobody else get Dyson to go on record, but this man did. You think GQ just randomly hired a Pulitzer Prize winning writer for your story and wasn't trying to dig in your shit? Come on, man. So in this version of the GQ article, before the Gillums had pulled out of talking, RJ gave her account of what happened that night where she couldn't find Andrew. She said she awoke the next morning to find Andrew. He was pacing in the front yard and he was on the phone. And he said, I need to tell you something. You think? And she said, I was so confused because it just sounds like something out of a Lifetime movie. She said they talked on the ride to the airport to pick up the rental car that Andrew had abandoned. And she says, as they pulled in, Candace Owens tweeted the police report. The couple says that a number of prominent Democrats and black public officials reached out to support. Gillum's former CNN colleague Van Jones reached out before they'd even left Miami and he wanted to connect them with life coach Jan LeVenzant. Tyler Perry volunteered as a prayer partner and he wanted to set them up with crisis fixer Judy Smith. Bill Clinton called. They probably shouldn't have put this in the article. They was telling too much tea. Bill don't want this brought up again. They said Bill Clinton called and he said, as you know, I've been there before. RJ says that when Andrew went to rehab, she had tried to divorce him. They rented an Airbnb apartment, unsure of who would be moving into it once he returned from treatment. She says that when he got back, she stayed because I didn't want to scare my kids. Their dad has been gone for 40-something days, and I just can't leave. And then it just became, we can be civil and be friends and figure this out. And then it became, for now, I want to fight for my marriage, and so does he. So let's just do that. They said they had a series of difficult conversations. They began going to therapy individually and together. They bought some relationship cards where they just ask each other questions. And she says that's been a kind of cool way to talk that I think is just different. The article ends with um, the writer asking the couple about Andrew's foray back into politics. He says, no, he's not interested in going back. The writer didn't believe him. He also asked if RJ had any interest in politics. And she said, oh, God, no, I just don't have the skin for it. Andrew interjects, I think she's not giving herself enough credit. She interjects, politics is for special people. And Andrew fires back, you are special. He replies with a smile. They could have kept this shit. Stop doing press, man. Just go to work. That's all you got to do. You got one job, which I think is your podcast. Just go do the podcast, man. Talk about politics. You're really good at that. Doing press, you're really, really bad at it. Maybe there was a time when you were good at it. And that's how you got to the position where you were. You're really, really bad at it at this point. But this press, this desire for attention, this need to be seen, it's going to fuck you up again, man. 
If yesterday's group chat was Trey Song's dick, guess what we were talking about today? I don't get it. I don't get it. I was thinking recently, I got an opportunity to do something and it didn't feel like the best decision, but it would have been a good look. And I tried that dumb shit before. It didn't turn out too well, depending on who you ask. But when I was thinking about what to do with the opportunity, because the money was right, I was weighing this decision. For some reason, the last scene from The Devil's Advocate kept standing out in my head. Remember Keanu Reeves, essentially makes a deal with the devil he loses everything that meant something to him and at the end of the film given what he's been through he makes the opposite decision he shows that he has morals and he declines to work with a client that he thinks is guilty the devil al pacino posing as a reporter approaches keanu reeves again and he says hey you're a lawyer with a conscience like you know i want to write a story on it he's like no 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 and he was like come on it'll be great press it'll be good for you blah 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 i can probably get you in I think it was like a big name paper or something. And so then Keanu Reeves says, okay, okay, well, just give me a call. So he walks off and then Al Pacino turns back into the devil and he says something like vanity. It's my favorite sin. So I often think about that line when I'm thinking about why I'm making decisions. I'm like, am I doing this because I want to do it? And am I doing this because I want attention? And if I do want attention, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with wanting attention, but why do I want it? Do I want it in a healthy way? Or why am I seeking validation in that way? Like I really try to investigate some of the choices that I make. And I would encourage the Gillums to do the same. Because like this GQ article, why did y'all do this? It brings the story that no one was thinking about back into the forefront. You got now this messy story from the guy who hasn't talked. He finally decided to for GQ. And nothing's changed. People just out here looking at y'all crazy again. In the entire article, there's not one line about like the work that they're doing. It doesn't say anything about them that's going to push them to another level. You say you don't want to talk about your relationship and you say you don't want to talk about this situation because it's nobody's business, which is accurate. But stop talking about it. I get that this thing happened to them and people probably say things to them. And so they feel like, oh my God, everyone's talking about it. Someone tell them no one's talking about it until they do press like this. As a general habit with this podcast, when I talk about things that are going on, when I talk about pop culture and events, I try to walk narrow lines. Like just last week, and I was like, hey, I didn't comment on the T.I. thing the week before, even though it was a story, because T.I. and Tiny hadn't come out and denied it yet. I make a point not to go digging for information, like on gossip blogs or things like that, because that's not the kind of podcast that I want to have. But like, if you go talk to the New York Times or you sit down and do an interview with Tamron or 60 Minutes or CNN, that's fair game. But I want people to tell the Gillums, y'all want to be together? Y'all want to work out your marriage? That's your business. Stop telling us about it. Y'all are real people. And you keep putting yourself out in the press to be essentially ridiculed. Stop. Go somewhere. Do some work. Change your narrative. And then come back and talk about whatever work you've done. Not that one night in Miami. Jesus. I'm sick of hearing about it. I know y'all got to be sick of thinking about it and living it. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home. And then there's a version of it where you have someone help you. You watch them do it the right way. And you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good. And then a bang in the night. And I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it. I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, 
it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. So this week we have a treat. I've talked about Bevy Smith and I've talked about her new book, Bevelations, many times. I've shared with you that she has been one of my mentors. When I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking back to when I met Bevy. I've known her 20 years. I didn't realize it's been that long. But I met Bevy when I was a kid when I first moved to New York. But she's always been very kind to me and very gracious to me. Bevy describes herself as, quote, the quintessential Harlem girl. She's a lifelong New Yorker and she is the host of Sirius XM's Bevelations on Radio Andy. Once a wildly successful luxury fashion publishing exec, Bevy shifted her professional goals over a decade ago to pursue a life in front of the camera. A pop culture aficionado and fashion expert, Bevy served as moderator on Bravo TV's Fashion Queens and was a former co-host on the nationally syndicated show Page Six TV. I've been talking about this Bevy interview for weeks now, and I'm glad we were able to bring it to fruition. So... Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Bevy Smith to Ratchet and Respectable. Bevy, I'm so happy to have you with us on Ratchet and Respectable today. I've very much been looking forward to this interview. I've been looking this interview as well. You know, I love you. I'm in awe of you and I'm inspired by you. Oh, thank you, Bevy. You're everywhere right now. You're on TV, you're on Zooms, you're on Clubhouse, you're on IG Lives. What has this process been like for you? It's crazy around here because of all that we have going on with the COVID. You know what I mean? Like, it's bonkers. Everything happens at home. And honestly, you know, this is not how I ever envisioned my book tour going. And it's grueling, um, Demetria. And you're about to do your your tour for your your TV show. And it's and, and I dare say it might really be far more grueling than if it was in person because you're staring into this little tiny screen on TV. Um, you're on, on your computer all day, and it's it wears you the fuck out. But I'm also invigorated. I um, My niece gave me the best compliment today. She said, Auntie Bev, I've been watching your interviews, and me and my friends have been watching, and you do such a good job at making sure that no interview is just canned, the same canned conversation. Every single interview, you give something new to whomever you're talking to. And I have to say, that's because I've made it my priority to be present in every interview. As you know, I'm a, uh, I am interview celebrities all day long. You know, I have a radio show and also I've had TV shows where I've interviewed celebs. Um, and so I know when people come in for a junket and they just have that canned prep. And, um, you know, my radio show is called Bevelations as well. And, I, and it's called Bevelations because I don't accept your canned prep. You're not going to show up here and just give me everything that you gave 45 other outlets. So I'm very cognizant of the fact that I don't want to give anyone else stale, 
three-week-old information. You know, the story might start out the same, but we're, we're going to find a way to deviate and we're going to find a way to give that interviewer something unique that someone else didn't already have. I love it because as a journalist, like I hate that. It's like you just gave me the same thing you gave another publication. Like I can't do anything with this. I have nothing to write about. Right. Girl, it's dry. It's yes. already been Get out of here. Well, speaking of stories, what made you want to share yours? They offered me a book deal. So that's always cute when you get offered a book deal and it's a six figure book deal. And they say, oh, well, you write for us. And all you gave them was a sheet of paper. I love that. Wait, you didn't have to like do a proposal and chase them down. They were like, they came to you and said, baby, this is what we want. No pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) No, so what happened was I was at CAA at the time and my, um, my book agent, I didn't even have a book agent. I didn't have a book, but at CAA, which is one of the biggest talent agencies in the world, they have divisions for everything. They try and get you like the record industry does for the 360 deal. So they're like, we can do it, everything for you. We can take care of your speaking engagements, your books, your, you know, your, your dildo endorsements, anything you want to do, we can take care of. So <laughs> my, my, my TV agent was like, you have to meet the people from the book division. They're really interested in you. So I was like, okay. And I went and met with Kate Hoyt, who is the gift that keeps on giving. And a year later, after meeting Kate Hoyt, she was like, you know, Bevy, we talked about this a year ago. When are you going to, like, buckle down and write the book? I said, oh, I am, Kate. I am. And then another three months went by. And I had done nothing. And she called me. And she said, Bevy, just come in. And let's talk for an hour. I'll write some stuff down. And then that'll be the proposal. I said, Okay. So I went in, she wrote the stuff down, and then um, literally a week later, Andy Cohen called me and said, Debbie, have you ever thought about writing a book? I said, oh my God, I just met with my book agent. I, As a matter of fact, we have a proposal. And he said, well, I would like to see it. Will you come and meet with me and my, um, my team at Henry Holt Publishing? And I said, sure. But I also said to my agent, well, you know, Andy Cohen is my love bug, but it has to be a competitive. Um, it has to be a competitive rate. I'm not just going to give him my my book, you know, just because he's employed me for Fashion Queens and on Revelations the Radio Show. And she said, "No, got it, got it." And we went in, we met with them. They loved it. So I'm I'm telling her this before they even see anything, and before I even know if they love it. <laughs> That's how sure I am that you know my book is good enough, right? Or you know what? Okay. So we go in, we meet. As I predicted, they loved it. And um, yeah, and then they actually offered a really good competitive deal, especially for a first book um, and from someone who doesn't make their primary living off of being a writer. I've written before. I've done articles and interviewed lots of celebrities and things like that for magazines, but that's not my profession. Um, but I do have a distinct voice and I knew I was going to show up and show out with that voice. So you also have an amazing story. Like I knew, like I said, I knew a lot of it. I didn't know all of it. I feel like this is the first book. I feel like there's at least two, maybe three more. Okay. Okay. Well, listen here, lamb. I'm following your lead because, um, big bet from uptown needs her own series. Was this hard for you to write? I mean, I know that you've written before and you have like a lot of stories, but was it a challenge for you to sit down and tell your stories? And you tell like the good, the bad and the ugly about a lot. Um, It was difficult because I was 
I wrote most of the majority of the book I wrote under duress. I was working at Page Six TV and I wasn't very happy with my career. Um, and so that was tough. You weren't happy at Page Six? No, darling, no. I was not, darling. I took the position, I took the job because Andy and another amazing woman, Alexander Duet, who runs um, the Wendy Williams show, was at Debmar Mercury, um, which is a, she's a very powerful woman in television. I called her when I got the offer and she said, Bevy, syndicated TV is where it's at. Because she said, as much as Bravo has a very loyal fan base, syndicated TV is everywhere. That means you don't need a cable box or anything to reach people. They simply turn on the TV and if they've got rabbit ears, they're going to see you. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way to really get in front of millions of people every single day. When you were on page six, I was living in Maryland and I would go to the gym and work out so I could watch you and Carlos on page six. Y'all got me <laughs> through the treadmill and the Stairmaster. You were wonderful. I had no idea that you wouldn't, you weren't happy there. Well, yeah, I'm going to show up and do my job. You know how we are, Demetria. You know that as black women, um, we know how to show up and get it done. That's what we're not going to do. We're never going to show up and not get it done. Correct? Correct. Okay. That's what we do. Just our nature. It is what it is. I love it. What's your dream TV show? Oh, well, there's a couple of things that are going on. But I want to do my fairy godmother show, which I think that you can probably testify on my behalf that me coming in and helping people with their careers and creating opportunities for them. Um, is a very much in my wheelhouse. So I want to do Shark Tank meets Ayala's Fix Your Life. Mm. want to, you know, because I want it to be about career change and all that kind of stuff and personal development. But I don't want to get too messy into the personal part of your life. Like, I want to just like, because I, be, I do believe, look, first of all, I'm not a psychiatrist, a therapist, or any of that, right? So I, who am I to be like, well, girl, well, what's going on with that hidden thing that you have with your mother? I'm not trying to do that, okay? Mm -hmm. But what I do know what I can do and do it very well is help people connect the dots. I have so many resources and, and relationships that I know I can help people get a lot of things done that they want to get done. And so that's my goal to have a fairy godmother show. And honestly, for me, Demetria, that's not even like a dream thing because that's very easy for me to get done. It will get done. That's like, you know, I'm smoking a cigarette and eating a <laughs> I'm going to get it done. I mean, I feel like you're already doing it without cameras rolling. I was in right. the, um, the clubhouse room that you and Emil did together and... Um. You've always made me feel like I'm the only lamb. I'm the only child. Like, all your attention is just for me. And then one by one, it's a room with, like, thousands of people. And one by one, people keep taking the stage. And they thank you for the very personal ways in which you've encouraged them, helped them, introduced them to something, taken the time to listen, give advice. Um, this is something that's just naturally you. It is my gift. That is my true gift. And I, I thank you for acknowledging it. And... um and I thank God that I'm in a position now where that's enough for me. Um, and I don't feel the need to show up as anyone else but that. 
Um, and though I can do a lot of different things on television, which I have, you know, as a fashion expert, as a, a pop culture pundit and all that kind of stuff, I can do all those things. But really my blessing and my gift is going to be really connecting the dots and helping people realize um, to follow your passions and to chase your dreams is not uh, a, a far out idea. It's something that everyone should be doing in some capacity. And that's the goal. And so, like I said, that's going to be an easy thing for me. The other part of it is I don't want to do TV in the same way that I've done TV, which is why when page six TV ended, I did not call my agent and say, get me another show. I was like, oh, hi. And, you know, my co-host, Carlos um, Greer and Lou Elizabeth Wagmeister, that was their first time ever doing TV in that capacity. And so they were all very like, and rightfully so, let's go, let's get another show, let's see, let's talk to agents, all that kind of stuff. Great for them. I knew I needed to stop down because I knew I didn't want to run on that treadmill. I knew I didn't want to be a part of that hamster wheel anymore. And I was very blessed and highly favored enough to know that um, with all the relationships that I have, I could make up that very nice salary that they were paying me just by doing other things. So, so it's also very important to have multiple revenue streams, as you well know, Demetria Lucas. I do. I have multiple. I'm tired right now. I'm exhausted, but I'm thankful. Miss Bank Account looks so cute. You're like, yes, Miss Bank Account. I love you, too. Exactly. Like, I'll rest later. Later. Yeah. Um, Speaking of later, one of the things that you always like to say is it gets greater later. I think about how in an early chapter of your book, I don't know if it's the opening chapter, you talk about traveling, you talk about being in Milan and crying on thousand count sheets because you were so upset with your life. I'm sorry, by the time I quit, I was 33 when I had the meltdown. So okay. that's important to know that you can be dissatisfied with your life, but it doesn't mean that you can automatically just jump up and make a change. I think that so many self-help books do a disservice because please believe Revelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie is meant to be a self-help book. Um, I think that so many of those books kind of make it look easy to make a change. Um, to even know that you need to make a change is a big deal. And then to acknowledge that is an even bigger deal. And then to put the, the wheels in motions, do it, huh? That's a Herculean task. So what I wasn't going to do in my book was sit up and act like, so I had a mental breakdown in Milan at 33, and then I called up my boss and was like, I'm quitting. No. In the movie version, which I, I illustrate in the book, the movie version is fierce. I feel that. I get up. I go to the Duomo, which is the legendary <laughs> church in Milan, the cathedral. I have on Dolce & Gabbana. I have on Gucci. I have on all the clothes. I have on the six-inch heel. Um, I'm running on cobblestone streets, but you cannot do it a six and chill. No. And I do a prayer. I listen to the mass, even though I don't speak Italian, but I understand everything the priest is saying. Okay. <laughs> this is the movie version. And then I get back and I make a call on my cell phone, even though transatlantic calls was not really popping back then. And I just, I declare I'm quitting, even though if that was really the truth, it would have been 3 a.m in New York City if I had tried to call my boss. That's the movie version. But the real version went like, I felt bad. I, I was like, I need to change my life. I started out by changing my name to, from Beverly to Bevy. And then it took five years of discovery 
and introspective work and therapy to actually get to the place where I could quit my job. You quit at 38. And I'll tell you that I get emails every day from women who are who say, I am miserable, I am unhappy with my job, my career, my marriage, my relationships, whatever aspect is of their life. And they say, I'm too old to start over and do something new. What advice do you have for women who think they're too old to do anything? It gets greater later. People are getting old like they've never gotten old before in history. Miss Cicely Tyson, I interviewed her on a Monday. She passed away on a Thursday. She was 96 years old. She won her Tony at 89. She got her honorary Oscar at 94, 93. So do not tell me that you're too old to make a change. What you are too old to do is to not make a change, okay? Because if you don't make the change now, you'll be 60 and then you'll be 70 and then you'll be 80 and you'll still be a cognizant thinking person. And then that's when it gets bad because that's when your regrets start weighing on you and riding you hard, okay? And that's when your life becomes a series of regrets. So you're actually, any age that you want to make a change is a good age to make a change. I started feeling restless and like I need to make a change in my late 20s. And my mistake was I was in a relationship with a man that I thought I was going to marry. And so I asked him what I, you know, I need, I want to quit and what should I do? And he said, but what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. He said, well, then you can't quit, which is valid. But, yeah. Okay. But when you did finally quit, you didn't know. Like, you had the bank account to support figuring it out, but you said you didn't have a plan. Oh, I didn't have a plan, but I knew what I wanted to do. Because okay. I had already done the Vibe um, Awards red carpet with Fonsworth Bentley. So I knew I was good on TV. So I was like, oh, I'm good at this. So I knew I was quitting to do entertainment. But I really literally thought I was quitting to just do theater that was my goal i wanted to be a theater actress which i'm still going to do that but that was the goal i was like oh i'm going to be an actress and i'm going i'm going to be on the boards i'm going to be on the great white way um and then i was like you know taking my screenwriting classes and my improv classes and my acting classes and in my acting class it was the great um acting coach susan batson then when i got up to do a monologue she said who are you you are a book. You are a story that's waiting to be told. As you are, you can work. As you are, you should work as you are. And I was like, but I want to do August Wilson and Tennessee Williams. And she was like, but as you are, you can work. You're the story. And I was like, oh. And then my mentor, my very first mentor, a wonderful white man by the name of Jeff McKay, a wasp from Indiana, when I told him I was quitting to, like, you know, do pursue acting, he was like, oh, but, I mean, you know, your words are the best words, Bethy. You have the words. You have all the words. And I was like, but I want to do Tennessee Williams. I want to do all the He was like, but you have the words, Bethy. Well, he called me Beverly. You have the words, Beverly. And I was like, oh, okay. So when you get it from your mentor, who you trust implicitly, and you get it from an iconic acting coach, that's how I got into hosting. Your mentor told you to use your words, and is that how you led? That's how you led to being like, oh well, I can hold this microphone and I can speak, and I'll be fine. 
Yeah, I was like, oh, well, I kept getting these opportunities to do that. People liked me on those BET and VH1 and E shows, the countdown shows, the rap shows, you know, the fabulous life of Kamora Lee Simmons. Um, Beyonce's Upgrade You, How to Upgrade You, you know, those kind of shows. And I would come on there with pithy commentary. Mm -hmm. And then folks were like, oh, this is really good, baby. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I was like, it's just the words, darling. And I was like, oh, Jeff McKay was right. Ooh, Susan Batson was right. And then I started getting opportunities to host. And my first ever hosting gig was BTJ's My Model Looks Better Than Your Model, starring Eva Pickford at the time. Mm. She was the host, and I was the style dim maven. And we made, we helped make stylists into professional stylists. It was a very revolutionary show. But that was my first gig as a host. And then I was off to the races, honey. What's been your favorite job so far? Fashion Queens, hands down. I mean, as far as TV goes. And then as far as, like, freedom-wise, nothing but revelations. Demetria, I know you feel it by doing this, your podcast. There is freedom in this. You can say and be and do whatever you want. It's amazing. And on my radio show, Bevelations, on Sirius XM, Channel 102, shameless plug, (laughs) I get to show up and show out, and I have amazing guests in which I can have these incredible contacts and and relationships with. You know, in my book, I talk about having Kevin Hart on, and he was on a junket for for, um, Jumanji or something. And Kevin Hart is so beautifully media-trained that when I tell you he came on there, and I know you know this, Demetria, from all your, your journalist days, he came on there and he rattled off a spiel, honey. It was divine. But I was like, okay, well, this is what you told everybody else. Mm-hmm. So nice. Thank you. And I stopped him down and I asked him about, I said, what was it like when you thought the soul plane was your big break? And it turned out to be something that almost broke you. And Kevin Hart stopped in, I mean, Kevin Hart stopped in his tracks. And we talked for the first time during that interview. And that was a watershed moment. And he was so introspective. I called him Black Pop Chopra. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Let me ask you this, because you mentioned Cicely Tyson, and it was one of her final interviews i mean monday and, and she passed on thursday what was what was that like mrs lee tyson so first of all i i know mrs lee tyson uh, socially i'm not gonna say mrs lee tyson knows me socially i'm gonna tell you I know <laughs> but i know her socially okay yeah because we were at, we were at the same tables at galas a lot in 2019 I probably ate dinner with Miss Cicely Tyson, like at the same table, as in like one or two people apart from Miss Cicely Tyson, maybe 20 times. Yeah, because she was out. Like every time you went to a gala, like she was there. Yes, you have that wonderful one from the Susan Taylor Gala mm-hmm. where Maxwell serenaded her. Mm-hmm. Yes, but Miss Tyson was out, and we, sim- and we shared the same um, friend circle. She has a beautiful colorie of black gay men that really cared for her and protected her and shepherded her through her latter years. And I know a lot of them. They're older than me, but younger than Miss Tyson. So it's a very interesting dynamic. 
Um, and so when Miss Tyson came on Bevelations, by the way, it was a town hall. So I got, you know, 35 minutes with her, you know, and as you know, as a journalist, you know, that's a lot of time, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it was such a great moment because she asked me before I could even ask her a question. She said, now, were you Betty before you were Bevy? And I was like, oh, no, let me. And I told her how I was Beverly and how I couldn't use Bevy, Bev because it was Bev Smith from BT. And I couldn't use B Smith because it was B Smith. And, you know, we went through the whole thing. But it was so great to speak to her. And then one of the things that I did was I let her talk. I have a bunch of questions for Demetria, but I have old parents. And um, one thing I do know is that the best thing that you could ever do when you're dealing with someone who is at the end of their life is you let them go. Mm -hmm. You let them lead the way. Like, I understand, like, you know, when you're on, like, a Regis and Kelly um, or you're Gail King, you have to steer the conversation. I'm on radio. I was like, this, this conversation can go wherever Miss Tyson decides that you go. Yeah, it's also like Miss Cicely Tyson, like, you know, the Cicely Tyson. You just let her speak. Yeah. Yes, but you know what? It's different, though, when you're on TV doing interviews. You do have to be a, a much firmer, you have to have a firmer hand. Yeah. But that wasn't the case with me, so I let Miss Tyson guide the conversation. Um, and I, I gleaned so many amazing things, including going back to what you just said, where you receive a lot of emails from people feeling it's too late. I said... Um, what do you, what do you say, Ms. Tyson, to people who feel like life has passed them by? I said, you know, there are people in their 30s that feel that way, 40s, 50s. And she said, life has only passed you by if you let it pass you by. It's not what people do to you, it's what you allow them to do to you. And I couldn't agree more. You know, if you feel like life has passed you by, that's in your mind. That's your, your mindset. That's in your head. There's no actual proof of that. That's not a real thing. If you had to go back and do anything differently, would you? Or would you just let it all play out as it has because it brought you to where you are? I think it has to play out the way it has because I look back on my big bet from Uptown days where I'm just ripping and running the streets and having amazing sex with amazing superstars and... <laughs> you know, gallivanting all over New York City and, and, and Las Vegas and Miami and doing things. You know, I, 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 it's so funny to me because when I see, when I'm on Instagram and I see all the hot girls and everything and everyone feels like they're doing it, they discovered this scene for the first time. I'm like, child, the circuit been here forever <laughs> and a day. The circuit wasn't here, like, I wouldn't say really before, like, probably like the 70s because we had a lot of segregation and things. But once the 70s hit, there was a there was a circuit. And if you were a hot girl, you hit the circuit, you know, and the circuit started with, you know, um, Super Bowl, you know, and then went into All Star Weekend and then went into Grammys. You know, we had all the things that we had to do. We had a full calendar of events, darling. Mm -hmm. And um, but through it all, I had a career. You know, even while I was doing all of those shenanigans, darling, I had a career. I was a, a fashion advertising executive at um at that agency, um, and I was and I had a big career at that. So it was very interesting that they 
one hand never knew what the other was doing. You know, the people that knew me from Big Bathroom Uptown didn't know I had a corporate career. And certainly the people in my corporate life didn't know I was this fabulous hip-hop hottie. They had no idea. Is the circuit more fun as hip-hop hottie bevy or as I'm paid to attend and do the VIP bevy? Mm. It's different. Uh Uh-huh. It's very different. So I would say this. I am glad I got a chance to be in my 20s and be the girl that was like that everyone wanted at parties that had carte blanche that, you know, people bought your handbags and clothes and shoes and, you know, you were always ushered in the VIP and you never paid to get into anything and you were always at, yes, I'm so glad that I'm her. But I'm also very, I feel very blessed and fortunate that I'm, I was able to transition into Bevy Smith. And now it's, it's galas, you know, and now it's, uh, you know, I, like you said, I'm paid to attend a, a lot of fabulous functions and things like that. But I honestly would not have wanted to be just this person I am now. Because um, I know a lot of people that are just, you know, the elder stateswoman and have all this like really amazing access and things like that the access that you have that i have now it's a little different it's weird because it's like it's not paid for it but it's like it's not it doesn't feel like as organic when you have that street credibility and when you have like folks that just fuck with you because they fuck with you which is the street credibility oh it's nothing like that in the world it's nothing like you know, knowing that you could go up to Jay-Z at the supper club and be like, Jay, give me a bottle. It's nothing like that. It's nothing like knowing that, you know, the first time you met um, Puffy was in front of a Willie Burger stand and you introduced him to people. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just nothing like that scenario. So I'm glad I have both. I love but it. But I don't expect not one part of the hot girl, baby. <laughs> <laughs> She's the one that's going to keep me company company in the old folks' home. This Beverly will keep me company because, you know, I did the White House with Barack Hussein Obama. You know, I did those parties. Mm-hmm. A lot, like, I went to the Tyler Perry studio opening. So I have, like, big benchmark moments that happened in this era of my life that are definitely going to be good for old folks' home conversation. But the, the, the good, salacious, tasty ones, <laughs> big Beverly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's all of my questions for you, Bevy. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want my listeners or me to know about? I want you all to know that Bevelation's Lessons from a Mother, Auntie Bestie is a literal self-help book. I'm very honest and very candid about my life, about my fucks and fumbles. Um, and I'm doing that so that you all can, like... Um, not go through life with a bunch of shame, the younger women. I don't want you guys to feel ashamed of anything you may or may not have done. I want you to realize that it really truly does get greater later. Um, you know, uh, Demetria, you, you've gone through a divorce already and you have, you've risen like a phoenix. You know what I mean? And for a lot of people, that would have stopped them and shut them down and they maybe would not have recovered at all you know you recovered really quickly um and i know it was not easy but you did it um and 
So when I'm thinking about who I'm trying to reach, it is everyone who who considers me a mother, and that's my LGBTQIA community. It's my young girls who consider me an auntie. That's like I I say thirty five and under, and then and then and then you know if you you in that mid space, I'll, I'll let you be little sister. And then um, the bestie is for all my good grown women. Like, you know, that's like me and Sherry Shepard and Vivica A. Fox and, you know, all the girls, you know, all us girls has been through some things and we couldn't grown and we're saucy and we have marinated and we have lived and we trip together, we drink together, we commiserate together. And so that's who the book is for, those three groups of people. And so I hope that you will buy the book. And I narrated the audio book, so that's always very tasty. Mm. I knew that you narrated it, but even when I was reading the book, I could hear it in your voice. Yeah, yes, yes, that's the, was my goal. But I want to say to you really quick before we wrap is that I love you. I'm so very proud of you. You are hashtag goals, um, and you can learn from anyone. And I want people to not – I think a lot of times – because of social media, we feel like we need to compete with everyone and we need to look at people's success and be like, why not me? And what I want everyone to do is to take a look at what Dimitri has been able to do and look at what I have done and say, not about, oh, it should be me. You should think about it in, in the way of that. If they can do it, I can do it. It's going to take some hard work. It's going to take some tenacity, but it can get done. So just take a lesson, take a page out of the book, a literal page out of the book and, and change your life and make that pivot and do not wait. Well, thank you, Bevy. It was awesome speaking with you. I love you. I love you Bye. back. Thank you, baby. Thank you, Bevy. Bye. Bye. Hmm. I just love my Bevy. She's the best. Congratulations to you, Bevy, on your new book. It's really, really good. So that, I believe, is everything. If you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and next week, you can follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to pick up some merch for Don't Waste Your Pretty or for Ratchet and Respectable, you can purchase on DemetriaLLucas.com. So we will talk again Tuesday, next week. Okay. Bye.